0: Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you. If we have not met before, my name is Reino, and I have the privilege of leading Fellowship City as one of the pastors here. Um, This is the eighth time that we are getting together for a worship service. It feels like it's been years, but it's only time. And every time we get together, every time we sing together, every time we have fellowship together, my heart is just filled with thankfulness because I know that this is what God wants of us, and I'm really curious and excited to see what God will do with us as we keep on doing this after week. Thank you so much Zita for hosting us well. I know that hosting is not your first choice of serving in the church but you're getting so good Zita. It seems like you're just going to become part of the hosting team. Joking but also not joking. Marie, thank you for leading us in worship. There's something about repetitive simple lyrics and verses that resonates with me. It feels to me like every time I sing something again and again and again it kind of seeps into my heart a little bit than it was before, so thank you for that. And thank you, Tandiwe, for heralding the teaching text to us. It's a portion of scripture that I am really, really excited about. So guys, we are in advent. It's uh, not a word that we out. It is a word that is taken from a Latin word, which means coming. okay So advent means coming. and we are in a season that we are excited and hopeful. Four. The question is just who, and when, and how. But we'll get there, and the teaching text will explain something of it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to behold and think and look to the coming of Christ. The promised Messiah, God coming a human being, wrapping himself in human flesh, and then setting right what is wrong with this world. Now what we'll see today, and the theme is also up on the screen, is that this brings hope. So I want you to tie down the word hope in your mind and in your heart. So first Sunday of Advent, Advent, looking at hope. Let me start with a question. What comes to mind when I say royal baby? If I say royal baby to you now, what comes to mind? Or who comes to mind? I decided to consult Old Faithful Google yesterday, screenshot. So if you Google Royal Baby, you will find Royal Baby news, photos and more. Hello Magazine. You'll see that people also ask, which royal is having a baby in 2021? You'll see people ask, who is the latest royal baby? You'll see the top searches are all about Catherine Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, or Princess Catherine. And then there's also CBS News about the royal baby. So if you if you ask Google, what's your first royal baby? Jesus ain't there. Do you guys see it? Okay, And I assume that when I said royal baby to you, most of us also didn't think Jesus, just because this is the kind of news that goes around. This is the kind of stuff that people report on. Royal baby Jesus, to see if anything pops up. And what you'll see (laughs) is you'll see images for royal baby Jesus. Top left, royal icing. Not too sure what that means, but anyhow... Then you'll see there's a couple of Jesus, which is encouraging. So people ask, did Jesus have a royal bloodline? What's the story of the infant Jesus? Uh, Why is it uh, called infant Jesus of Prague? Not too sure why my algorithms uh, took me there. And then what is gold, frankincense, and myrrh? The first hit is about Prince Charles, who was given holy water from the River Jordan for the baptism of the royal baby. And just because the word Jesus was in the article, uh, that's the top hit. So royal baby and Jesus is not really a hot topic, right, in the space of our news and whoever we hold in esteem. Now, here's the thing, not against the royals at all, not against people reporting on them. What's just really interesting for me about this kind of news is that the world seems to have an infatuation with the royal family, the oldest monarchy or the most powerful monarchy in the world at the moment. People seem to be really curious about them, right, who they are and, and what they're busy with. But here's the thing, the birth of a new royal baby doesn't really have any bearing on any of our lives. It's like whoever gets born now doesn't have real authority to really get something done in that might impact our lives. Because the world operates on different systems when it comes to governance and rule at the moment. Think about it. I'm curious to know why people are so infatuated with something that has no real authority over my life. But still, we hold all of this in esteem. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is in the first century, when this played off, this portion of scripture that Tandiwe read to us this morning, it was a different experience for people hearing that a new royal baby will be born. Okay? Because in the first century, When a new royal baby was born, he was a really big deal. Because what he did and what he could do and what he could achieve had a massive impact on my life. Either good or bad. So the news of a new royal being born in the first century was always with excitement, especially if this royal that's being born is born into a line of nobility or of service or of good kingship. Like, yes, another great king. It was met with real terror if they knew that another king was born that was going to be as bad as the previous one because it comes from that king's line. So the announcement that a king is born or that a new royal is born in the first century was colossal Because it was news that had an influence on people's lives. Okay. So this announcement, the teaching text this morning, was a huge announcement. I think I've made my point. So two things that I want us to focus on in the sermon this morning. I'll put it on the screen for you now. Rudolf will actually put it on the screen for us. The one is... You'll see a proclamation and explanation, one side, of grace, salvation, and guarantee. That's a loaded sentence. I'll explain all of those words. And then on the other side, you'll see the faithful submission of a servant of the Lord. Okay? So two key points out of this teaching text that we need to take note of this whole portion of scripture. On the one side, the proclamation and explanation, and then on the other side, a faithful submission of a servant of the Lord. Now... In between, there's a lot of really, really dense things that we have to take note of. I think I've got a picture of a bookshelf for you. Can you see that these books are squeezed together, like lots of content there, but squeezed together nicely by what we call bookends or book holders, right? If you bookends, your books tend to go, And then your bookshelf looks really unneat. I do realize that some of us might not even have a bookshelf. So if you don't have a bookshelf, that's what a bookshelf looks like. So this teaching text is kind of like this bookshelf. We've got a beside, the proclamation, the explanation. And then we've got a book in on this side, the submission. And then in between, there's this loaded portion of scripture of so many things we have to take note of. Let me count them down for you. Eight things we find. It's not eight points to the sermon. Relax. But we'll see eight things in this teaching text. We'll see the Trinity represented. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll see an angel featuring, and an important angel, actually. The virgin birth, which is one of the important, important stones or pillars that we build our faith on. The virgin birth is a miracle, so we'll see God operate in the supernatural. In this portion of scripture, we see the incarnation of Jesus becoming a human, moving in with us, pitching his tent with us, looking over his proverbial balcony from heaven, saying, I cannot take this anymore, I'm now going to get involved, I'm going to get dirty, I'm going to get into the sinful nature and sinful world, fix that, it's All in this text, and that's only number four. Number five, we see titles and identities of Jesus. We see the word son of the most high, eternal king, inheritor of the throne. We'll get back to those a little bit later. We see the omnipotence of God. Nothing is impossible for God. We see grace, which is distinctive. Of the Christian faith, all other worldly faiths or world religions or world faiths is built on works. Your effort that qualifies you or disqualifies Christian faith is all about grace. You can neither earn it nor do you deserve it. It's given to you. We'll get back to that later as well. And we see in this middle section of the teaching text a, a good explanation of salvation as well. That's it, guys, and it's all in you. Okay, so let's look at the first big one, the proclamation and explanation of grace, salvation, and God's sovereignty. Here's what I want you to note. That we are in verses 26 to 30 now. So maybe you can. I would appreciate it if we can have 26 to 30 on. I know 30 is on the next slide, but let's just leave 26 on for now. God gives grace to his people. That's what this portion of section starts with. Have you ever been with a great gift? I wanted to use some examples, but then I realized, "Eh, what's a surprise for me might not be a surprise for you at all. What's a gift for me might not be a gift for you at all. So just think, okay? Surprised by a great gift. One of those things that you did not expect. But when you got it, you went, oh, this is absolutely phenomenal. I'm actually a little bit scared. Think about that. You might have received a gift like that. The reason why I want us to think of it is because that will help us to imagine what Mary must have experienced. Think about it, guys. she did not see this coming. she wasn 't trying to get pregnant she 's never been with a man like pregnancy is not non in her head, and then she gets this announcement boom, just imagine her experience now. Luke, the writer of this gospel, writes with great detail so that we can know when, so that we can know where this happened, so that we can know who was involved in all of these things, so that we can experience something of it. That's what a good writer does. A writer invites you into the story, gives you context for where, when, and how, so that we can resonate with the story and experience something of it. So let me just make a couple of remarks. You'll see all of the words there on the screen. This takes place in Galilee. Okay important note the northern part of Israel far from far from Jerusalem not where like the center of the Jewish people operate the clever folk the teaching folk the rule makers head office they are in the southern part of Israel in Judea Jerusalem this is the northern part of Israel it's hilly country it's really beautiful I've been there myself twice but it's small towns, and they're all on trade routes. So if you happen to pass through them, many of us might take the N1 or the N3, God over these holidays, right? It's like Winburg and Richmond and Tromsburg, like all those places that you pass through, right? It's great places, but you just pass through them, really. It's not like Pretoria, Joburg, Cape Town, Derbs, Bloom, those big cities. Secondly, Luke tells us that Herod was on the throne. Guys, Herod was a troublesome and a troubling king. He said that he was a Jewish person, but the Jewish people didn't like him. He wants the Roman kingdom to flourish, but he also didn't always listen to them. He played both sides, and he was a guy that said, "I will build, and it'll be awesome. And when I build, and when it's awesome, people will love me. People will love us. Kingdom will love us, and I'll do it at any cost." So Herod was known to be a very violent man. He killed anyone who would stand in his way. He even killed some of his. his. His own family. He even massacred, he ordered that people be massacred when he dies so that people would cry at his funeral about other people because he wants people to be sad, right? He was a really, really difficult guy. So the king who's on the throne, the guy who's currently the king of the Jews, really isn't a nice guy. So the announcement that a new coming and it's not one of his kids is good news. Yes, we might see some change. Something might be different. We see Gabriel featuring. Gabriel is one of two angels that gets mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if you guys only Michael and Gabriel are ever named in the Bible. And Gabriel only pitches when he has a really important message. So he spoke to Daniel. He spoke to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He speaks to Mary. Right? So if you get an email from Gabe, you have to read it. Urgent, flagged, do it now, right? Notification pops up. So when Gabriel features in the king that's really not a good king, in the context where things are not being controlled or where important things aren't happening, we already have to know that something big is coming. We see Mary featuring we see the detail. virgin, and she's engaged. Right now, engaged in biblical times meant we are definitely going to get married. We're just planning the wedding. There's like no getting engaged and then maybe getting cold feet. Once you're engaged, you're engaged. And actually, if you wanted to break an engagement in biblical times, you would have had to have a divorce, which is not what they wanted. Joseph gets mentioned. Because the details of Joseph saying that he comes from the house of David is very, very important. Okay? So the right guy who fits the disc of whatever the Old Testament said will happen. And then lastly, if you just read the uh, preceding parts in Luke chapter 1, you'll see that we have seen this movie before. Gabriel spoke to Zechariah as well. Gabriel said to Zechariah, Elizabeth will get a child. His wife Elizabeth did fall pregnant. She's still pregnant at this moment, right? So big things are happening in this really weird remote place by these very important angels, by this really unsuspecting girl, but from this guy that's in the right line, right? Something is brewing in this story. So the context is right uh, and the moment is right for a significant piece of news. Okay. Then Gabriel starts and he says, Greetings. Greetings in the Greek. they Listen up. In our language, here's what he says. Surprise. Right? We love hearing that. I mean, none of us would rock up at a place unsuspecting and someone would shout, surprise. And then he would go, yeah, and then just keep on going. The moment someone shouts, surprise, you stop and you look because something is happening. And that's the words that Gabriel uses. Then he says to her, and this is so beautiful, and this is what I want you to hear. He says, you are Favored. Do you guys see that? If you, there we go. No, so, so, sorry, uh, Rudolf, it's still in verse 28. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Greek word there is the word charis. It means grace. And in this context, it, greetings and surprise, you have been showered with grace. You have been given grace. You have been covered by grace. You have been endowed with grace. So only two places in the New Testament where this word gets used as a description of people's state. It's this, and it's when Paul speaks to the church in Ephesians saying that you are a favored people. That's really significant. So that's what he starts with. Surprised, you are favored. It's given to you without merit. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Surprise! It's right here. For me, if I can just use my example, if someone would say to me now, dude, for the rest of your life, you're not paying fuel, you're not paying rent, you're not paying groceries, and you're not paying medical aid. I literally wouldn't do with that news because that's the things that takes up most of our money. That would be such a huge surprise, I would be a little bit scared. Because I, why? Like, how? Who's going to pick up the bill, dude? Who's going to fill the tank? Like, I'll, but I actually don't know how this is going to play out, but it's really good, but I want it, but it sounds really scary because what am I going to do with all this money, right? That's how Mary must have felt. Now, Gabriel, what I love about him, is full of compassion. He repeats himself. Did you guys see that in the teaching text? Like, Mary is scared and uncertain. And then Gabriel repeats himself and he says, let me say that again. You are favored. Look at that. Once again, for you have found favor with God. We all need this reminder. We need this reminder again and again and again and again because sometimes it's so, well, it's such a big surprise that it actually scares us. And then Gabriel goes all compassionate, and he says, calm down, let me repeat myself, this is what's going to happen. And then he explains. Because she doesn't really know how it's going to play out, he goes, let me tell the full story. And then he has this whole explanation of what will happen now. And I just want to point out six really important things to you. Because he describes this king that's coming, this baby that's going to be born, with six very unique Attributes. Remember now, if you hear that a royal baby is going to be born in the first century, you know that what he does is going to affect me. So tell me he's going to be a good one, please. If he's a a bad one, I'm going to live under oppressive rule again. If he's a good one, we'll flourish. And then Gabriel says, let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he's going to do. So look at all these, these six attributes. You'll find the text there. Firstly, his name is Jesus which means Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, we read Luke chapter 1 this morning, Gabriel actually explains why they have to call him Jesus and then says, it's because he's mean to save his people. This is the Savior that everyone has been waiting for. There's been kings upon kings upon kings upon kings. There's been times of bad rule and okay-ish rule. Kingdoms have topped the history of the world up until this point. But there was one king that was supposed to come and he will have a unique name and a unique title and that will be the Savior. And now Gabriel says, this is the one that's going to be born. Now think about it. The new royal baby born soon. I think he or she is probably six or seventh or eighth or ninth, in line for the throne. This announcement says, "The one that will change everything is on his way, and he save his people." Guys, we need to remember this. This is the gospel. The fact that God saw a world that was broken in sin and death and destruction. It's not the world that he created in the beginning. He created a world with things created in his image um, that was supposed to live for the flourishing of all humankind. But because of their decisions and because of their sin, that's not how the world ended up to be. God looked at it and decided, I tried with a man, I tried man, I tried with a family, I tried with a nation, it didn't work, now I'm going to do it myself. And I will leave my glorious state, and I will come down to earth, I will wrap myself in flesh, I'll experience everything that humans experience, I'll never see, and then I will pay the price. And then they'll be forgiven, we'll be reconciled to one another, and we can start setting right what is wrong with this world. That is the gospel. Now Gabriel says, this is the moment. this is the Savior. The only one that could ever save you is this one. He says that he'll be great. The word great is a word that's used in Micah 5, once again, back in the Old Testament. Someone someone will rule, and he will be the greatest. No one else will ever be able to be compared with him. He'll be so great. Now Gabriel says, you know that one? The expectation and the promise of the Old Testament, that's the one come now. We see a uh, son of the most high. The most high is God in verse 37. We see that the writer Luke changes that to the son of God. He'll be given the throne of all the way back in 2 Samuel 7. God gives this promise to David that a son out of his line will sit on the throne. He says your son will sit on the throne forever. David goes, I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen. We're going to take the throne from me Now is David, but let's see how this plays out. Eventually that throne uh, um, was destroyed. Eventually that city was destroyed. Eventually that seat was destroyed. And now this king pops up again out of that line. The one who fulfilled that promise all the way back. He'll rule over Israel. Well, that's great news now, isn't it? Because who's currently ruling over Israel? Herod. And Herod is a really, really bad king. So if this king is going to replace him, I'm in. (laughs) I'll take the new one. Especially because I know that he's going to rule in a very specific way. And then he gets described as the one whose kingdom is eternal. He won't be replaced again. Once he's king, once he establishes his kingdom, that's it. A kingdom filled with love, righteousness, peace, justice, and joy, and it'll last forever. No one's going to topple it again. No world power can topple it again. No one can dethrone him. Once he's on there, he's there forever. Guys, that's hope. That's hope right there. If we hear all of these things, if we hear this glorious announcement of this thing that happened that is going to change everything for me, and then it won't change again, it'll be my new state, my new reality, and the new way I live, I'm in. That's what gives me hope. Feeling that this, what I'm currently experiencing, isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. There's more to come. Think of question of the day and your conversations in your little groups now. I assume that most of us use this hand gesture. Things that lies there. Things that will come. Things that will happen. The best is yet to come. Something that lies in the future. That is what gives us hope. This announcement should give us hope. It gave Mary hope and Mary responded. Then Gabriel explains in verses 35 to 37 how this will all happen. Can you see Gabriel being really passionate, making sure that Mary has all the detail that she needs? Think again of the big surprise that might be a little bit scary. Gabriel says, let me, let me explain to you how it's going to go down because you have a understand certainty. Like, I can understand how this might surprise you. This isn't natural. This isn't usual. And this is also something that you didn't enter a raffle for. Like, you were just going about your business on your way to Mary Joseph and living in Nazareth with the little town of sticks, right? The trees. And now I'm dumping all of this on you. So I can understand that you are a little bit uncertain, but here's what I want you to hear, Elizabeth. Ach, oh, um, Mary. Nothing is impossible. This is evidence. Look at Elizabeth. This just happened. Okay? So God is going to do it again. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to be willing. And then Mary says, okay. I mean, guys, that is a huge submission. The shame and the guilt and the rejection that she's going to have to deal with in this next part of her life until Jesus is born is galah, okay? She actually, by saying yes, runs the risk of Joseph leaving her. That's why in Matthew we have the, uh, the story of the angel also appearing to Joseph, saying, listen, dude, God is going to do something amazing. Just don't leave your wife, all right? But I mean, she looks at the evidence in front of her, she's hopeful about it, and she says, I am in. And then she uses the same word, Do you see verse 38? See! It's the same word that gets used earlier. Greetings! It's a shout. Gabriel said, surprise! And then Mary says, surprise! I mean, let's do it. Can you guys see it? Isn't it just a beautiful story? Surprise from the one side. Understandable uncertainty on this side. Detail, evidence, promise and hope. And then surprise from this side. Let's do it. Even though I don't know what lies ahead. Look at her words. May it happen to me. I think in South African English, we let it be. Let it be. In Afrikaans, I often hear the words, it is what it is. In English, it's translated as, it is what it is. That's what she says. Let it be. Got no idea how this is going to, but this gives me hope and I will respond in prayerful desire. I will say, let it be, and I will say it in faith, and I will say it in hope, and I will surrender to this. For you and I, we're not married today, but we are people living in 2021 in Centurion and around. This is also a proclamation, and it also asks for a response. It's a hopeful proclamation. And the response for us should be, we know that something is coming. We know there's more to this life than the one that we are currently living. How will we respond? I just want to ask you a quick question and then we'll land the plane. What is your "may it happen today? What is your let it be? What is the thing that's currently in your heart and in your mind and in front of your eyes that God is calling you to, that you know is so exciting, it's you know it's hopeful, but you don't have all the details, then you should respond with a prayerful desire saying, well, let it be. What's that thing for you? I'm not going to answer what's mine, but I really want you to dig deep. What is my may it happen today? Or maybe let me even ask the question more simple. What hope? What hope is there for you? That's why I asked the question. I know it's a really difficult day question. Jeez. Like over the past few weeks, we asked stuff like, what's your pet peeve? Do you have to charge your phone until it's 100? What kind of food do you chow? What kind of exercise do you do? Those are really easy questions. Today's a difficult one. But I wanted us to start thinking so that when this text lands, we are open to understand what hope means. Let me ask it in a different way. What does surrender look like for you today? What does surrender look like for you today? Because for Mary, there was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake. But she said yes, because she had hope. Because this announcement was enough for her to say, okay, let it be. What does that look like for you today?